Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. We are in the October 15th episode. We're in 1 Kings. We finished up Ezekiel this week, and then we are in Philippians, Colossians, and the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Um, Read the last chapter of Ezekiel. What? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Maybe I did. Okay. So first Kings, I will say that everything that I got was everything that was like mind blowing to me. There was a lot of cool things in it. And I kind of was tracking. This was the first year that I've like tracked and I was like, okay, here are the Kings for Judah. Here are the Kings for Israel. And I just kind of, I'm just writing them down in a list. I like that. One of them was like a King for six days yes. or something like that. Um, and then I also like um, that God just like slips in some of these, like, according to the word of the Lord, like where Joshua is, where, um, the Jericho is rebuilt by this guy who loses his first son, literally word for word, what it said was going to happen to the person who rebuilt Jericho, according to Joshua. Yes. At the cost of his first son. Remember talking about that last year? No, I, yes, it hit that last year. That was one of those things that I was like, wait, what? And I went, I remember I went back to Joshua to see and was like, what in the world? This is crazy. Oh, that's a translation issue then. That's why you read it. I'll bet the way that the message has it yeah. isn't as. I definitely noticed it. That was in. Um... The end of chapter 16. Okay. It is definitely. Okay. At the very end of 16 in the message, it says, this is exactly what Joshua son of Nun said would happen. I think. Cause I noticed it and remembered, I didn't go back this year because I went back last year. Think it like last year, it totally captivated me. Like I was like, what is happening? And I don't know if it would have happened. Yes. That's and it. I kind of have, go ahead. It's, it's a weird thing that happens. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's in me. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah. Because it just slips in there. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the Kings or anything. It's just no. like this one guy built, rebuilt Jericho and he lost his first son because of it. And he lost his last son because of it. Oh yeah. And by the way, that's all because that's what Joshua said was going to happen to anybody right. who rebuilt Jericho. Right. And I was like, Oh, weird. But then there's several other things that happen like Abijah or Jerob- Jeroboam losing his, all of his family is going to be gone, but then his son takes the throne And then it's like a generation or so later that the actual prophet who said he was going to lose his son's son takes the throne and he annihilates all of Jeroboam's family, according to the word of the Lord. Like, it's just watching like the way that God's timing, like God will do all the things he says he's going to do, though we may never see it in our lifetime. Like just, it will happen. Yeah. That whole space and time thing that that God is not. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So here's where I got like mind blowing for me. And it is because we, the sermon this past Sunday was on the woman at the well. Okay. Okay. And so then I'm having a conversation with the pastor who gave the sermon on like the last time that God spoke to me, like the the last time that I really remember, like God, like, um, touching my heart on that story of the woman at the well. And it was me kind of coming 
I was like, Jesus, I'm so thirsty and I'm yours. And you say you're the living water and I'm, I'm not experiencing it. What is, what is, how is this true? How is what you're saying true? If you're really the living water, why am I so thirsty? And, um, as I was kind of sharing that story, the end of the story was the beginning of the story was about that. And then the end of the story was how God's the first word that he spoke to me that made me feel like, um, refreshed again, like feel good. Like that he was speaking to me again was from Jeremiah's where he says, um, your word was found and I ate it. And it was a delight. Um, and it was a delight to my soul or something like that. But he brought up the parallel between the woman at the well, uh, being thirsty and then it ending with the disciples bringing food and Jesus being like, my food is to do the will of the father. Yeah. Like the word of the Lord. And he is the word of the Lord. So like just that the bread and the water together, those two things in the same, in that same story of the Samaritan woman, he kind of put those before me as like, look at that. And I was like, Whoa, that's really cool. <laughs> so then I'm in first Kings and we get to Elijah mm-hmm. and Elijah comes to the woman and he asks her for a glass of water, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Jesus does. And again, like, well, this is not Jesus. We're not but <laughs> parallel parallel parallel. So like Elijah comes to her and he's thirsty because like the, the water is running out and it's all dried up. And so he, so God tells them in advance to go to this woman, which is similar to like, Jesus is like really gone to Samaria. He's going out of, in a weird way to go meet this woman at the well, Elijah now goes to this woman. And he says, I've It says, I have commanded a woman who was a widow to provide for you there. I love that. This man of God is going to go be provided for by this woman. So he goes, he goes there and he asks for a little water in a cup and let me drink. And it says, as she went to get it, he called to her. And I love this. Like she's, he called her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. And then she goes through this explanation and she was like, um, I'm actually about to make the last thing of bread so that my son and I can eat it and die. And I was just thinking, man, like this woman was like in the midst of preparing to die. And she was about to go get this man, a cup of water. Like she was just going to go get this man of God, a cup of water in the midst of her own. Like she wasn't going to tell him the story. Like there was no need. That was interesting. Stood out. The other thing that stood out to me was, well, first he basically says, this is never going to run out. Your flour and your oil will never run out until there's water on the land. So he's kind of like reassuring. It's basically that saying, like, this is the water that will never run dry. If you come to this and you obey you and you do this, like it will never, ever run dry. And then you get to the next part where it says, um, the sun is almost dying. His illness got worse until he stopped breathing. And she says to him, man of God, why are you here? Have you come to call attention to my iniquity so that my son is put to death? And that just made me think of a Samaritan woman too. And that like, it was almost like he points to her sin and it kind of exposes this thing that needs to be dealt with before she's ever going to experience the living water. And it's like, she feels the same thing and it's not the same story. So it's different because there was no sin that he was exposing, but just Mm -hmm. that, that she was kind of wrestling with that. Like, have you come to do, is there a sin that I have to deal with? Is that why you're here? And um, of course there's not, but anyway, so I have this whole parallel going between the water uh, that he asks for and the bread that um, God sustains her with and the provision that's sustained in all of this. She comes, turns out her son is alive. And then I looked in the, at the very beginning of the next chapter, the famine was severe in Samaria. Like this is actually the same place. Hmm. 
It is. It's a Samaritan woman. And Ahab had just named or Asa had just named, he had just built Samaria and named it in the chapter before. Wow. That's kind of cool. Without a lot of studying, I was just like, that's weird. Wait, I want, I'm trying to find where, who made, who named In 16. 16 verse 24. Then he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for 150 pounds of silver. And he built up the hill. He named the city. He built Samaria based on the name Shemer, the owner of the hill. It's so weird in this first Kings, like how everything gets so muddy, like, because it's Asa that builds Samaria, but Ahab is the one that is, he's the king. I think Ahab is the king of Judah. Am I getting that right? Okay. Um, so wait, I'm reading it as Omri built Samaria in the first, he took over as king of Israel in the 31st oh, year yeah. and ruled this time at Omri. Then he bought so, Yes. Of Israel. So a and then Ahab is a king of Israel too. Yes. Right. Okay. Oh, Omri rested and Ahab built king. Okay. And this is where this is all happening. That may thank yeah. you. That's yeah. really helpful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Elijah's dealing with Ahab. Yeah. All of that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's helpful. But again, like it just gets muddy when we're like that. Again, this is a perfect example of how it's like, who was the king and were they Israel's king or Judah's there are king? Things that overlap and and yes. they're purposely telling you where the one king fits in the timeline of the other king. Like, yeah. So it's just um, it's all twisted like a pretzel. So all I have really from First Kings, other than the fact that like I don't know why, but Ahab and Elijah and the prophets of Baal always like for some reason, the stories make me think of my mom and I cannot figure out why, but I think I, I think she's like, I don't know, but I was like, oh, mom liked this story. Anyway. So that was fun to read that, but I mostly just have a question from this week from 13, the prophet, the good prophet, the bad prophet and the the good prophet dot. Like I literally am like, I wrote in my margin, what in the world is God doing? Like I have no and I know I, we talked about this last year and I feel like you had something really profound. So maybe I should just go back and listen to our podcast, but I cannot oh. figure out, like, I think I know like God's telling, like the prophet that ends up being killed listens to the word of another prophet rather than the word of God that he got from God. Uh-huh. But, but like, he wasn't doing it on purpose. Like the other prophet, this is, remember how you were talking about when we were talking about Genesis and you were like, it just doesn't seem fair or nice with that is how exactly how I feel about this. Like I just, and it makes me also think about David. Maybe I'm at a crossroads with God. I don't know, but David, remember how we talked about when David's relationship changed, when Isa reaches out and touches the ark and, and mm. like, what in the world, that's kind of how I feel about God. When I read this passage, like <laughs> what? Okay. So I don't know whether I'd said this last year or not. We might be repeating the same conversation twice, which would be pretty funny. But when I read this passage as somebody who I think has, I think I'm, I think I have a gift of prophecy. So like I, I relate to it in that I feel like it's a very, um, God reminding a prophet of his holiness, which is that like your one job is to know the word of like, know when I'm speaking to you. Mm-hmm. And if your one job is to know when I'm speaking to you, then you sure as heck better trust the word of the Lord. Like you, you need to know the word of the Lord and when it's from me and when it's not from me and be, and trust it. And yeah. so 
And what was interesting about this passage that I read this time that I really love, as I was reading into it this time, I was like, man, I love that at the end of the day, if you're a prophet, the thing that you live for is the word of the Lord going forth and being confirmed and being true. So at the end of the day, the old prophet who died, his Mm -hmm. body laying there beside a lion and a donkey was mm-hmm. a confirmation that the word of the Lord that he gave was true. So it's almost mm-hmm. like he gave his life in his failure to sin. Like God still used his life as a confirmation mm-hmm. that he's God. Not that that's, that's also just my like Rose. I love to look at the world through Rose colored glasses. I don't like to like be mad at God. So I just don't spend yeah. a lot of time there, but I guess I just feel like, um, he was a prophet he knew what God told him and he, he decided he wanted to make a friend or have dinner, or I don't know what it was that he was like, well, maybe I'm wrong. And he decided to take it daily. I think you're right. I think what you're saying is true. And it, when I read it, it seems like a really innocent thing that he did, like in listening to this other man who also claimed to have a work. Cause that's where the, that kills me is that you have this one man who knows that God has told him to do this one thing. And then someone else comes in and says, oh, but God told me to tell you to do this. Uh-huh. I totally get what you're saying. He should have gone. He should have listened to That is his so- job. And I mean, like not yeah. everybody is called to be a prophet, right? When you're called right. to be a prophet, like that is yeah. your job. And yeah. his life was given. And I would imagine that these other prophets, I know you can tell actually that this other prophet's life is changed forever. Like he, yeah. he has now, like David, a better understanding of God's holiness and what it means to be a prophet. And he'll probably yeah. never make the same mistake Yeah, because he's like, well, look what I did to this poor dude. And he gives him a burial and he makes him bury him. So he gets buried next to him. It's kind of a really beautiful story. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I could, I could see why you would be like, Nope, God, you're, you're mean. <laughs> you do much. Yeah. Not fair. Should we play in Ezekiel? Oh my. I would add this, but I haven't studied it closely. So it's not, it's one of those things that if I were to go and study closely, another passage that I would look at and look through the lens of the new Testament is that passage that you said your mom loves because it's the 12 stones that he gathers mm-hmm. and then he, he soaks it. Yes. And, and then he, and he bur- lights it on fire and he burns it. And the like, so there's just, I think there's a lot. And- yeah. Okay. Let's go to Ezekiel. Hmm. Okay. So before we get into like the, what the heck is happening part of Ezekiel. So at the end of 42, um, Ezekiel's measuring the walls and he says, um, the walls separated the holy from the ordinary. And that just made me think immediately check my brain to like, well, I feel like this could go in a million different directions, but the veil being torn that we're not separated anymore at all. Like there is the separation is gone. And also the fact that like, because so they're almost so good. One is that, that the, the veil is torn. We're not separated from the Holy anymore. We have that, we have direct access to God himself Uh through Jesus for the veil. So there's that side of that. And then the other side of it, I was just thinking about how, how, um, 
the gospel makes the ordinary holy, like that, uh-huh. that we are, when we are living for the kingdom, everything that we do is usable and holy because of what we're here for and what, like what our purpose is. So the prince. <laughs> what? The prince. Okay, go ahead. Um, as a new amillennialist <laughs> and this temple not existing in the world uh, to date and the prince who in yeah. the, in the vision is offering sacrifices, which makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. Um, right. I'm, when I was skimming, when I was reading through this and I prince totally stuck out to me too. And I'm like, that's gotta be Jesus. <laughs> no, it can't. It can't, it doesn't, Jesus does not fit in that picture as the prince. But he wouldn't fit. The only way that he fits in the picture at all, the only way that the sacrifices being made in the temple, in a temple that doesn't even exist at all, makes any sense is if we have the new Jerusalem in the thousand year reign, which I've completely like ditched that idea. So, well, but he's not. So I, I was just talking to Isaac about this this morning. Like we okay, talked, good. it was, it was more of like, a, he was like, huh. It was more me saying what? And he was like, huh. It wasn't really like a conversation. So don't get your hopes up. And I might be wrong, but I think, so I, if I remember correctly, and I should have probably dug into this before we're having this conversation, I did not. But I think that people who hold to a millennial reign of Christ, that's what this would be. This is, uh-huh. but, but, and I, when I, if I remember correctly, when I was like very first starting all of this digging into all of this eschatology stuff, which was what, like what, four years ago. And uh-huh. that was one of kind of my hangups is that what is happening here? We don't do sacrifices anymore. Like what we don't do this. We do not do this. Jesus and, did it. And I there's, can't see a plan for why we ever would. Why would we go back? Yes. Right. There's no None of that makes any sense with what I know and understand and believe about the gospel Uh and what Jesus accomplished when he sacrificed himself. There's no, it doesn't make any sense Uh back to a sacrificial system when, because Jesus will be reigning in the, like, none of it makes sense. So like I was reading this this week, just thinking, and I think I said last week, I did a tiny, tiny bit of digging in it. This is, I mean, it's not clear. There's nobody that can say this is what this is. Saying. Right. It is. But as I was reading this week, I was thinking about um, several months ago when I was listening to the Bible Project guys talk about apocalyptic literature and how it's not literal. Like we're not supposed to read it. Like this uh-huh. is. So all that to say, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I think yeah, that's I think funny. A picture of something, and I don't know what. Well, I appreciate that because I think that you articulated exactly my train of thought, which is like, even if it is the millennial reign, it's not like we're going to be sacrificing there either. So that doesn't make any sense to go there with it. The only thing that makes people who would say that we are going to sacrifice during the millennial reign, which is where this fits in. Okay. Well, I don't think we are. So like that to me is like, yeah, no, that doesn't fit. I sound Um, so. Huh? I just am listening to myself. 
Well, totally. I mean, that, that's how that works, right? Is you're like, okay, this is the box that I'm in right now. And that doesn't right. fit in my box. So it's not coming back in because I let that box go. Yeah. Right. I'm not going back to the other box. I'm staying, I'm just going to sit here and sit with this box for a little bit. Yeah. And so that was kind of where I was like, if it's all symbolism, the prince can still be the prince. The sacrifices can still be complete or will still be complete at the end of the day, which is what, because that's what Jesus did. And the prince going, being the only one that can come in and out of the East makes perfect sense because the East is, that's what, like, that's the, the garden. It's a picture of the garden. When he cast us out, he cast us out to the East and he closed the door. You can't go back in. You can't go in or out from the East. What are you doing? Sorry. Keep talking. Keep talking. I'll go after. I don't know that I have that much more thoughts, but I was just like, if you think about the symbolism and how he's the only one that can go in and out of that Eastern gate, he's the only one that can open it and provide a way for perfect unity. And then if you look at the the water that's flowing out from the East and it gets deeper and deeper to the point that you can't walk through it, like that's Mm -hmm. all, that's all imagery of Uh, Christ. Water, Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So when I was like, I literally did not give a lot of thought. I just was, I read it thinking I'm never going to get it. Like this isn't, I basically have come to terms with the fact that this is yes. I'm just gonna this and we're not going to know. Right. But as I'm, you talk and I'm thinking about what I just said about the um, apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature and the Bible project guys who I love. One of the things that they were talking about, and this is, we obviously see this happen. It at the beginning of all of this, like Ezekiel is taken up like this is a vision. This is not reality for Ezekiel. This is a vision. And one of the things that they talked about in that is that anytime we see that happen in scripture, it's like peeling back the veil so that we can get a glimpse into how things work in like in the realm that we do not exist in. So Mm -hmm. when I think about it like that, and then we think about like the imagery of like the constant sacrifice. Well, Jesus was that once for all sacrifice, but it stop me if this is like the worst. <laughs> I like don't want to say these words out loud because it's being recorded. This is me thinking off the top of my head. Okay. This is how theology goes though. Did, it's the wrestling yeah. around the table. Yes. Yeah. But like, it's almost like this picture of this Jesus's sacrifice once for all. <sighs> I don't even want to, I don't like the way that sounds. I was going to say like a constant, it's like constant. It's happening all the time because it's, Mm -hmm. but that's not, it doesn't need to happen all the time because it's Jesus said it once for all. So it's not a perfect, if we're talking parallels and imagery, Mm -hmm. parallel, we're talking about like what you were saying about the prince and the water, like all of that fits in the idea of like us getting a Ezekiel here, getting a glimpse into what's happening. Okay. Pause at the time that this happened they were they were right yes so this is a picture for ezekiel with his mind to wrap around from his context what's Mm -hmm. happening in eternity that's a really good that's a good place to like start from yeah because you're right like while jesus's work is once and for all it's forever in our sinful nature, in our humanity it is forever like, covering our sin. It's forever. Right. It's an, it's an well, eternal. Go ahead. Yes. No, I, I don't even think perpetual is the right word. Like there, this is where you can get like super technical. This is where my technical side comes into play Yeah. because I think perpetual is the same re- word or the right word, because that implies that you're doing it over and over. Like, but we Jesus, are sinning over and over. 
Right, right, right. The need for sacrifice remains, except that it's done. Like Uh one time, it is not perpetual because it's already been completely accomplished, like Uh fully finished. So perpetual isn't the right word, unless we're talking about sin, but not sacrifice. It was once for all done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one of the ideas that I'm playing with is the idea that this is this is now like, this is the temple. This is the way that it looks for us right now. And that idea that our Prince does go in from the East, that he goes freely in and out of his um, presence with us and his presence with the father. And it's, um, and it's his sacrifice. It's his work of sacrifice that allows us to sit at the square table that puts us in a place where we can commune with the father and the son and the Holy spirit. That's how true communion happens when we recognize that we are all, we're all at the same place, like, which is, I think what, how it's supposed to look among us that like we, if we measure ourselves as different than the person we're sitting across from, we're not in true communion with one another. But when we recognize that when we're all measured, we're all measured, we all measure the same honest. And I think what I wrote in my margin was that honest measuring will leave us all equal every dang time. Like Every time, mm-hmm. if we're, if we're honestly measuring, um, and we don't, we're not playing with any tricky weights. Then when we look at the person that's sitting across from us or the one that comes to the table, like they get, they get equal portions because that's how mm-hmm. God set it up in the Holy of Holies. Miraculously at it all, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just so cool. His, and I, and I think like, this is where it's like, man, I can't wait to like see in full. Like, I know I see just. This is a part where I'm like, oh, I totally get how I'm seeing through a keyhole, like not yeah. even a keyhole, a pinhole. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun when we can see it all click together. And then the last, like not important question that I have is it's interesting that the new city, these are the exits of the city on the North side, which measures one and a half miles. There will be three gates facing North, the gates of the city being named for the tribes of Israel. One, the gate of Rumen, one, the gate of Judah won the gate of Levi, when the 12 tribes are given land, Levi's left out, Joseph is left out. And then Ephraim and Manasseh, Manasseh make up those two spots to leave 12 pieces of land that's divided. Like, but then here it's listed as the 12 sons, the 12 original sons, even Joseph is mentioned. Hmm. And I thought that's just interesting. Which makes me go, oh, they're all equal again. Like where Levi was kind of set apart and did this other thing. Like I'm literally thinking out loud. Yeah. But I wonder if that's what's happening. Like it's like. Because if we think about this, (laughs) not like talking about this and having (laughs) madness recorded for people to listen to. (laughs) If we think about this as like, there are no priests anymore because mm-hmm. is that prophet, priest, king. Uh-huh. So that Levi doesn't need to be set apart the way mm-hmm. that they were before. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm kind of like, I kind of want to read it again now that we've kind of talked through it and yes. see how much it fits now, you know? Right. right. Anyway. Maybe we've got it figured out. Well, that was a fun. Okay. Yeah. So the, the very last verse. The name of the city will be Yahweh Shama. God is there. Oh, what does yours say? The, the Lord is last- there. Yeah. I mean, this is Ezekiel. Like Ezekiel was not an easy read. No, it's kind of complicated and pressing. 
And yet maybe it's, I don't know. I'm putting on your rose colored glasses. I think none of this makes, we're, we have no idea what the last 10 chapters in Ezekiel are talking no, about. No idea. <laughs> we're totally just guessing. We have lots of opinions and we have no idea. But at the end, the name of the city is God is there. And so maybe that's all that we have to worry about right now. I love I, that. I'm texting this to you, like this whole, the whole idea, of the, the fact that there's so much that I have no clue about. I like it because it means God is God. Yes. And so I'm both frustrated with this section of Ezekiel and also completely content to say, who knows? Like we'll find out eventually, but in the end, the name of the city that is there. And, and no matter like whether that's like whatever Ezekiel's talking about in this, like we know for sure that that is going to happen. That yes. in the, no matter what temple this is, we are going <clears throat> to live a place where Jesus is King. And yes, we are a city on a hill. It actually makes me think of like, it's all the same. Even the issue isn't um, whether it's going to happen and what it's going to look like. I think that it goes back to what we always say, which is it's both now and not yet. Like yeah. it is both now and not yet. We are the city on a hill and where people see us, they go, the Lord is there. Like that is happening mm -hmm. now because of the Holy mm -hmm. spirit that dwells within us because of the work of the cross that Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And yet like what we see partly right now, mm -hmm. we're going to see in full when he returns. Yeah. And you're right. I just love that. That's where the comfort is. The Lord is there. Colossians was fun to read in the message. Mm. Um, if I, like in a nutshell, Colossians talks so much about like the supremacy of Christ, like Christ is all in all. It talks about that over and over, but then like chapters two and three, it's like, okay, this is who Jesus is. And this is who you are. Go be who you are. Like, um, and I could read the whole thing, but just. <laughs> This is who you are. Go at, So at the end, middle of two, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live in him. You're deeply rooted in him. Already, you're deeply rooted in him. You're well-constructed upon him. He's your cornerstone. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. Just That's the end of chapter two? Oh, this is verses six and seven of chapter two. Because oh, um, the end of chapter two stood out to me. Yes which is Galatians in a nutshell, where he's like, although these have a reputation for wisdom, like he's basically saying, don't handle, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. It made me just think of that. Like we try to live by the rules and we try to do all the things, but what he's saying is like, you can't, it's, I know we can know what to do but there's only one way to do it. The only way to do it is to live according to the spirit. It's not by following the rules. Like you can't yeah. follow the rules and get anywhere. You have to live according to the spirit and the spirit changes us to become more like him. It's like yeah. yep. so counterintuitive. It is counterintuitive. 
Yes, that that section. I love that you tied it to Galatians because that's totally. I totally see that. And then in three, I don't know, maybe verse fourteen ish. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Like I feel like Paul is like you get rid of all of the stuff. Like he's he. So Jesus shows up, and Jesus is like completely radical. Paul is like all in with that radical, like, this is nothing what you always thought it was going to be. You have to get rid of all of that, the law and the rule following and love like Jesus. This is really what it boils down to. Yes. Yes. That I have that highlighted with pencil, like, and it, because my verse says above all put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Mm. I love that yep. phrase, the perfect bond of unity. Yeah. Yep. That's good. That's so good, Annika. Okay. So this is another, I think this is probably the last thing I want to say, but just like super practical. I was thinking this hit me with, we're super divided. Like, you know, not to bring in social, whatever, but <laughs> social as a country, <laughs> as a church, like we yes. don't agree on much. And I can be as opinionated as the rest of them. But in chapter four, verses five and six, he says, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down and not cut them out. And that just was like such practical wisdom for, yes. I mean, anything like this is, that's what a conversation is, is like, Yes. Can you read that phrase to get the last part? Of, well, read the whole thing again. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out, which that's totally love too. like, nor a lot, the, the non, the selfish side, the goal of a conversation is to like, make yourself look better and put forth your word, your wisdom. And yes. but the complete opposite of that is to bring out the best in the other person. Like if that's, if you go into a conversation and yes. that's your, like that's madness. That's so really. good. This completely upside down. Like it's I don't think- goal I've, in a conversation is to bring out the best in another person. The other, like, yes, I've, ne I've never approached a conversation like that ever, I don't think. It's funny. I kind of think that's a little bit why I, I feel like- I do all the time. What? I feel like it's what you do all the time. I think with this, go ahead. What were you I saying? think that like, I was just thinking, like, I think maybe that's even part of my motive for when people, when I get in conversations with people and they're so pissy about their opinion about something and I can't help, but bring out the other side, bring up the mm -hmm. other side. I think part of it is to kind of give them an opportunity to like think to kindly you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to kind of just put the other face in front of them in like a gracious and like, I, I'm not judging them. Mm -hmm. I never ever really thought about it that I was doing it intentionally, but I think that's part of why I can't resist, like just gently presenting another side mm -hmm. and putting the face of the other person in front of them as an intelligent, kind human being. You know what I mean? It's like, that may sound really self self-righteous, but as you were talking, that's what it made me think of is that like, it's a lot of work to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think it goes, I think it goes back to when I think of someone who is a counselor or a spiritual direction director, like that's what I, I think you lean that way because that's your natural giftings and mm-hmm. your background. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a natural, I mean, it's not fully natural because it goes against every sinful human nature. Yeah. Nature. But I think that um, there are types of people who have that like lean towards that. Yeah. I, I would say Isaac is probably like that a little bit. More he too. totally like, is. Yeah. Yeah. Can just access it more easily. Yeah. yeah. Philippians chapter four is a part that I also highlighted and squared. And I actually put an arrow to its um, footnote because I really liked it. It stood out to me for some reason, starting in verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. And I think it stood out because I just, I had an interaction with a woman this past weekend that she was so gracious, like she was hurt. And yet the way that she responded was so gracious. And, um, I don't know, like, I mean, it goes back to what you're saying, but I love that you, the, the footnote says gentleness. Mm-hmm. which I was like, yeah, that's definitely a good word for what I feel like I experienced. It's just gentleness. But I really love the way that you define that as um, trying to bring out the best in somebody else. And I think that's what I felt was, I feel like felt like somebody believed the best about me when they could have believed the worst. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Graciousness was just that that stood out to me. I was like, yeah, I want to be that. I want to be gracious and gentle. That your description of that totally lines up with the message. It says, um, make it as clear as you can to all you need that you're on their side. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.